Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode. This is our third episode for the UWDogPound.com football podcast. My name is Rob. I will be hosting again this week, and joining me again is both Jeff and Lucas, and this is actually the first time all three of us have been together on the podcast. So, hey guys, how's it going? Dude, I'm good. Hey guys, good. I'm doing well. Good, good. This is going to be a fun one, all three of us here. So, we played Montana last weekend, and it's we're recording this on a Thursday night. And what can we really say about the Montana game other than it happened? The Huskies, uh, the Huskies won like they should have, and you know it's 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 hard to take away anything significant from that game. I, I, I don't know if you guys have any insights that you you gleaned from that thoughts. <laughs> yeah, you know, a couple, yeah. couple injuries to keep an eye on. Um, I would say it's actually one of the first things that comes into my mind. Uh, Drew Sample being the obvious one. Um, Peterson in his press conference yesterday, I think, after practice, um, gave his usual week-to-week thing. So at least at least we know what they know now is that it's not going to be season-ending. Um, I want to say a couple other guys got hurt. One of you guys, one of you guys help me out here. Yeah, Drew Sample left the game. I want to say it was on the first possession. It was really early in the game. He limped off, um, and he didn't return. Andre Pacelli left. At some point in the third quarter, I want to say it was the beginning of the third quarter. Um, I don't believe he returned to the game either. And then Dante Pettis left the game with an injury late in the third quarter. Didn't return, but also at that point, the game was well within hand. And Pettis sounded like, I mean, I just saw some of the stuff on the blog, but it sounded like Pettis was looking pretty good on the sideline. But yeah, we don't know for sure on whether or not any of them are you know, going to be available. Uh, yeah. This- Saturday. I mean, assuming I'm assuming. I guess I would be surprised at this point. This is all just kind of speculation. I mean, and reading the tea leaves and stuff. Uh, I would be surprised if Pettis wasn't out there for sure, and I would be surprised if Bocelli wasn't out there. But I don't know about Sample. It sounds like it might be a little bit longer. Yeah, it was a um, leg injury. Yeah, Sample's one to keep an eye on. Um, and he's a big part of the offense blocking. I mean, Peterson loves the the, the two tight end sets. So yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on. And it's another hit with uh, losing a Jamu right before the season started as well. Um, yeah, so. testing the tight end depth, that's for sure. Yeah, but uh, as as we saw, Disley performed. Yeah, Disley had a great game. I mean, it was easily the best of his career. I think he matched, I think he surpassed his career catches in one game. Just the cool, like, side storyline of he was the former Montana Gatorade State Player of the Year and then, you know, gets to do that against Montana. So good for him. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. fun. Montana football is a big deal in the state of Montana, so I'm sure he had a lot of fun with that, and I'm sure his family did as well. It was it was pretty cool that uh, it was pretty terrifying. I mean, like I think Disley showed, like, yeah, it was just Montana. Okay, we've got to pause that as the you know as the disclaimer, uh, and we'll see if he can do if he can show up against even Fresno State or you know in conference play, but. He showed that if he catches the ball coming downhill, the you know head of steam, I would not want to be the guy in the secondary trying to tackle him because he is a monster of a man. And he's two hundred and seventy pounds, I think. Uh, yeah, he's two seventy, and he's like what six four at least. So, and he's big, yeah. dude, physical guy. So, I, I don't think he's going to become like this pass catching uh, terror in the uh, in the conference, but. I, it definitely seems like we can rely on him a little bit more for, for a catch or two game. But, uh, hey, maybe this is Hunter Bryant's time to shine with Ajamu and Drew Sample being out for a few weeks. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about Bryant. Um, he hasn't shown up too much yet for the Huskies. But just, you know, that's not a criticism or anything like that. He's really young. He's only in his second game. And yeah. tight end is one of the more 
complicated positions on the entire Husky offense. So it's definitely not easy to handle the playbook and get all that down. And he was close to having a pretty big reception uh, against Montana, like one down the field. He just was out of bounds. And I think that was one that he'll probably catch by the end of the year and certainly, um, you know, figure out a way to get himself back in bounds in the future. But yeah, he'll need to step up. I mean, that is the case. Uh, other guys will need to step up as well, especially if samples out. Like Disley will need to keep up his production. You'll need Jacob Kaiser to step up. It'd be nice to see Michael Neal um, step up as well. You know, it's really gonna you know, get down there in the depth. But yeah, um, it it is what it is, and hopefully some of these guys can step up and and uh, start to you know take over if 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 Sample isn't able to come back. I think if Sample comes back, he'll be the main pass catcher this year at the tight end position. Yeah, I like what you said, though, about the, the tight end position being very complicated in the offense. You know, I never actually thought about it, but you could be right. It might be the most difficult position on the offense. I mean, with uh, I think it, they, they're in motion probably pre-snap on, like, 75% of the plays. Uh, they're shifting and moving, and you got to keep track of all that. Plus, if you're out, if you're out there, you're usually going to be asked to block. Uh, we know Hunter Bryant has incredible hands too, so he's going to be asked to be a receiving threat downfield. So yeah, you know, I like I like what you said about that, and that that could be a reason why we maybe lean on Will Disley uh, more, and we maybe don't see as much Jacob Kaiser and Hunter Bryant maybe for at least another couple weeks. Yeah, definitely. I know we don't want to talk about Montana too too much, but. What else did you guys take from the game? I know for me, I took, well, first things first. I mean, it doesn't matter who you're playing to shut out a team for four quarters like the defense did to hold them scoreless is, you know, that's a, that's an accomplishment. Um, and one that we should talk about a little bit. And, and I think some people on the, you know, some commenters on the blog had a good point of like, yeah, we can heap praise on all the guys who deserve it. Uh, all those starters that we all know, but I think a lot of the praise deserves to go to the second string, third string defense that was in there grinding in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, still keeping Montana out of the end zone. Yeah, you know, I was listening to uh, Yogi Roth uh, talk um, on another competitor's podcast. I won't say the name. (laughs) Uh, And I was listening to Yogi Roth, and he he, he talked about, you know, when he watched film with Washington, one of the things that stuck out was effort. And he's like, you know, that's something that's so – cheesy to just say that like oh they put in great effort but he's like you watch other teams and he's like when you watch Washington play he's like doesn't matter who's in there he's like I watch every single snap of all these teams and he's like USC they'll take some plays off you know they're not giving full effort sometimes it's just okay but he's like watching he's like doesn't matter what the score is who's in there but he's like he's impressed with like deep into these games and he, he specifically brought that up that like he is impressed with the effort and tenacity of the team deep into games when reserves are in that it's just that mentality of attacking every rep, every play with, what is that Harbaugh thing? Attack, attack each day with enthusiasm unknown to some mankind. And not to bring you know, Jim Harbaugh talk into this, but, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. They're really impressive effort by the, uh, by the twos and threes. And just, just to be clear, just to jump in quick, I think attribution is necessary on the podcast there. It was with Adam Jude, Husky yeah. Headlines, Seattle Times. It's a great podcast. 
And uh, I don't think Jude needs our help uh, getting our bump. <laughs> yeah. uh, but everybody yeah. should check out the podcast if they don't already. It's a good one. Adam, yeah, he gets, Adam Jude he gets is, a lot of guests that we don't have access to, so worth a listen. Certainly. And uh, sure. I, I actually am midway through his book right now, 100 Things Washington Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And it's, uh, you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already probably a pretty big Husky fan. So it, you might not learn a ton of new things out of it. But uh, it goes into a level of depth and detail, which is pretty cool. So um, another Adam Jude shout-out and uh, worth looking into. Yeah, well, I guess before we put the Montana game to bed, I don't know what you guys, what else you wanted to talk about from it. I think it's worth mentioning rushing offense hasn't looked great yet. It still hasn't put it together. Um, They still, I don't, I mean, I think Gaskin had nine rushes for 38 yards and Coleman only got the ball three times and had, you know, 33 yards, um, but 30 of them came on one carry. So there's a lot to be left to, you know, a lot left to be desired there from the Huskies rushing uh, rushing offense. And I want to see how much, you know, 1 to 10, what's your guys' concern level about the, the rushing offense? I, I guess if I pegged mine, it would be 4. I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it, to be honest. Yeah, like a 3 or a 4. Yeah, uh, I think... I think that's appropriate. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it can be understated the value in getting those guys touches at this point in the season. You know, if we're going to be playing cupcakes, hand them the ball. You know, I, I, I understand uh, people people want to see Ahmed and people want to see McGrew. And they got some playing time last game and that was cool to see them, especially, you know, McGrew uh, having not gotten to see him last season. But Coleman and Gaskin need these these touches. They're valuable right now. They need to work in tandem with this offensive line to, you know, understand, hey, like, this is what it feels like to get hit 10 times in a game. They'll probably get hit more than that. Um, But to get used to that again for a new season can't be understated. And then just beyond that, things of like, hey, this is where this hole is going to be when we run X play, you know, this is where I need to cut. Um, This is what I can expect from the guys in front of me. That all comes into play, and you only really get a good feel for that with the touches. So I would certainly like to see more of it. Um, just pretty much against Fresno, run the damn ball. Ross yeah, I think I agree with you, Ron. Yeah, I mean, I think there is some value in like, I, and I don't know, I can't pretend to speak to why they haven't touched the ball um, more. Um, I, you know, can just guess like everybody else. I think part of it has been like, Dusky simply did not have the ball very much going back to that first half of that Rutgers game. They only ran 21 plays. They started to run it more in the second half. And I think, you know, against Montana, I don't know, maybe it's just such a scrimmage that Peterson wanted to make it more about Browning trying to yell with his new receivers than uh, what he thinks he probably knows with the, you know, junior running back, junior and senior running back tandem and, you know, offensive line that returns all but one starters. Um, That's, you know, my best guess as to why they haven't been running the ball as much. It's pretty similar to last year, going back a year ago, we were all having the same, you know, wringing our hands in the same way about why we aren't running the ball well and um, against inferior opponents. And it ended up being a non-factor, non-concern for the vast majority of the year, except for playing, you know, the top talent in the country and USC and Alabama. But like, we, you know, we were able to run the ball with a lot of success last year and, I still ultimately, and I'm expecting a, a similar amount of success this year on the ground, if not more. I don't think I've seen anything from the first two weeks to make me think like, like have alarm bells going off. I mean, I guess it goes back to why I put it as a 
four out of ten. I don't think there's anything like, oh man, there's something here where we just can't run the ball. We we are not going to be able to run the ball. I, I think it's more of a context of the game, uh, maybe a preference from the coaches trying to get the you know Browning and more uh, in line with his wide receivers. But yeah, I agree. I would like to see him run the ball more this this weekend. I know it make me feel a lot better if the Huskies came out and racked up rushing yards during the meaningful time of the games so that we know that when we go into Boulder next week that we can run the ball there and we, we it's not a total question mark as it seems to be right now. At least, not maybe not a total question mark, but some 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 form of a question mark. Hopefully that will be answered this weekend. Most certainly. Well, you, and, wouldn't, oh, you wouldn't be a real Husky fan if you didn't want us to run the ball more. And uh, before we move on, I have a question I want to pose for you guys. Do you think that Perhaps the offensive line feeling the loss of Jake Eldrenkamp, perhaps a bit more than they expected. I mean, he was first team all-conference last year and uh, did not get drafted. He signed with the Rams. I think he actually got cut a couple days ago, sadly. But he was still good enough to be on an NFL team for at least a short time. And he was really, really good last year. And as good as his offense is, uh, if you peek under the hood a little bit, the interior of the offensive line is... Not not where the strengths lie. There's there's certainly opportunity for improvement there. So no, yeah, do you guys um, think I I I think missing him a little bit. I I, I don't think um, I think that's a totally legitimate concern. Um, you know, I know they're high on Nick Harris. He, what he's, I, I, God, I want to say undersized, but he's still a large man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, guards need to be quick and guards need to be athletic. And at six two and around three hundred, you know, Nick Harris certainly checks both of those boxes. But he's he's younger. He is a little undersized for the position. I know people would debate me on that again, but I'm just going to stick with that. And then I don't know if I've heard a lot of people talking about this, but uh, Andrew Kirkland was the projected starting left guard going into the season. But pardon if I get this name wrong here, but Sosa B um, has Sosa B, yeah, yeah, has been, has, been, has been getting the start there, and you know clearly that's a vote of confidence in him. But uh, a little last-minute shifting on the offensive line is always a little intriguing, especially when it's so important for those guys to get reps together to gel heading into the season. Yeah, I, I think going back to Jeff's question, if they miss, you know, Jake Eldrenkamp, does the line, you know, miss him more than they thought they would? I don't know about that. I think that those guys would tell you that he was really good. I mean, he was a senior, as a all-conference, you know, first-team all-conference guy. It's tough to lose that. Did did we as fans uh, overestimate it a little bit potentially? I mean, I know that we all do the the you know count how many guys started who are coming back. You know, check the boxes. Oh, we only lost one starter. They should be good. Like that's kind of a simplistic thought process that we all have, and it's a natural thought process. And it's yeah. there's some sort of uh, truth to it. But I mean, there's four out also, of five starters are returning. Right. Exactly. And you know, with that, they should be better. But I mean, going back to Harris, like. He's a really young kid, and uh, I don't want it to seem like uh, we're, you know, dogging on him at all. I mean, go back last year. He's 270-pound, 6'2 guard starting against Alabama, you know, throwing pancake blocks against Utah. You you go back and watch a Utah game. He's got some big-time blocks where, you know, he ends up on his back because he's a 17-year-old kid trying to block grown men, but he still ended up taking his player out of the play. Um, and he threw, you know, he was important for the Huskies last year, and I think he's going to be really good for us going forward. But yeah, it's it's hard. He's only eighteen. He's just been on, you know, close to twenty or so more pounds, and he's getting used to his body. I'm sure still. I yeah. think if we're going to talk about departures, maybe there's some issue with, you know, Huff. Maybe it's just taken them a little while to gel. I mean, that's a big 
you know, losing a position coach is something that is hard to just plug in. And, you know, Scott Huff, I think, is a good, you know, I think he's going to be great for the Huskies, I think, you know, especially showing up in recruiting, um, which is a little bit outside this discussion, but he's showing up in recruiting very well early. But, I mean, yeah, like, it's a new coach in the room, and I think it's taken a little while for them to get it to, you know, gel. But I think at the end of the day, like, I still, I still expect – I'm not going to hit the panic button yet. I guess we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think I think the Colorado game is going to tell us a lot. I think going on the road, usually you like to lean on the run game a little bit more. Uh, it's, you know, safer bet, obviously. If we struggle to run the ball against Colorado, even though their defense is, appears to be pretty good, that would start to be a little bit of a concern when we're entering conference play and it's still like, uh, where's the run game going to come from? Yeah, for sure. No question. Yeah, I agree. Well, be- what's be- next? Speaking of Colorado, um, let's look actually at the Huskies' next upcoming opponent here. Again, we're recording on a Thursday night, so just in two days here, tomorrow, by the time we get this out, uh, the Huskies are going to be facing Fresno State. We have another you know, similar story going in as we did with the Rutgers game or the Montana game in that there's a pretty good chance that this game won't be especially competitive. This is a, the third of the cupcakes on our schedule at the beginning of the season. This is an offense that was 125th out of 128th last season in, I believe, uh, total points scored in the country. So, you know, this this is this is going to be another matchup where the Huskies should be expected to win pretty comfortably. The main headline we're looking at here with this game is just the intrigue of having Jeff Tedford be the head coach of Fresno coming in. Of course, uh, offensive consultant for the Huskies last season and former head coach of Cal. So that's the interesting aspect of this is, uh, you know, what does Jeff Tedford add to the Fresno State equation? I don't know if there's anything you guys are looking to particularly uh, in this game or planning to see out of this game, but uh, let's hear it. What, what do you guys think? Well, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to see that uh, that high-flying Tedford offense that put up 66 points on the Incarnate Word University Cardinals in week one. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how many double reverse passes and uh, wide receiver passes Tedford uh, throws at us. Cause if you remember going way back when his very first play call ever for Cal was a uh, trick play. I'm actually blanking on exactly what it was, but it was some sort of like double pass or some crazy thing was the very first play he ever called for Cal. So I would imagine he's got some stuff dialed up for this weekend. Yeah, I think my biggest thing, yeah, I think the biggest headline is um, Ted for coming back. You know, he's, uh, as Rob said, offensive consultant last year for the Huskies, a close friend with Peterson. I wanted to ask you guys this question because I'm not sure, to be honest, what my answer to it is. But how important, I think, do you think it is, uh, or not important, but what type of unique challenge does it pose with someone like Tedford who was, you know, with the offense closely for most of the year last year. And then Kirby Moore is now the wide receiver coach there for Fresno State. And he was on the Huskies staff for a couple of years as well. So he has yeah, an understanding of the offense uh, that Peterson likes to run as well. So what, what what do you guys think? You know, that's been a big talking point is like, oh, you know, does Tedford, you know, have the playbook? And is he, you know, in some sort of sense, like know what we're going to call and is he going to just be able to play this? mastery you know chess game and understanding just how to totally you know dismantle Husky offense obviously I'm being dramatic but like how what do you guys think about that do you is it a non-story to use it a non-factor or are you like some fans who I think are out there who are you know 
legitimately really concerned about that, and I'm not really sure where I myself fall into that. Uh, to be on that, to be honest, um, I'm I'm not too particularly concerned. I heard Peterson uh, speak on this earlier this week. You know, of of course, there is some reality to the degree of you know Tedford is very familiar with our offense, not just in the play calls, but in the abilities of the individuals on the team. That said, Peterson and our coaching staff are fully aware of that. You know, they're going to change their signals. They're going to change a lot of their calls. They're going to play their game knowing full well that Tedford is familiar with their offense. And I'm sure, honestly, it'll work out just fine for the Huskies in the end. Yeah, and let's be honest. I mean, he still only has a week to prepare his team uh, to face the Huskies after having after getting them ready to face Alabama in week two. So Brutal. First of all, talk about murder's row for a first-year head coach. At Alabama than at Washington, that's that's pretty pretty tough. Which makes it kind of tough to read Fresno State actually, because if anyone could not tell, I was being incredibly sarcastic. Incarnate Word is awful, and the team that went one and eleven last year and was one of the worst offenses in the country, dropping sixty six on somebody, should give you an indication of just how bad that somebody is. FCS team and then, also, and then they go to yeah exactly, and then they go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, last week or the other end of the spectrum play Alabama, so. Kind of tough to get a read on them, but um, people, I think, inside the program were impressed with how they played against Alabama in a 41-10 to loss where it was really never even competitive, if that makes sense. It's a blowout. It could have been a bigger blowout. Yeah, they covered. Yeah, yeah Fresno State, they did cover against Alabama, and they deserve credit for that, going to Tuscaloosa down there. And, you know, covering the spread is, is an impressive feat for a team that, you know, was as bad as Fresno State was last year, just to kind of, you know, be frank about it, they weren't very good. Um, so to go down to Alabama and cover is, I think, like a moral victory for Tedford in some small way. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree, Jeff. He only has one week to prepare. If maybe my concern about Tedford's understanding of our offense would be higher if it was the first game of the year and he had all offseason to sit around and think about it. But to be honest, I don't think it would concern me all that much uh even that is uh, even if that was the case uh which it's not yeah i'm not too worried about that um i think that this game again is kind of like i know it's weird for husky fans uh, at least i know it's weird for myself to not worry about these games in terms of like losses which i mean i guess that's like the kiss of death or something but uh in more in terms of like looking good while you win like we're sitting around wringing our hands about you know the way we played against Rutgers and Montana, where we both, you know, at the end of the day, won both of those games very comfortably. Obviously, Montana more comfortably than when we beat Rutgers, but both of them were in hand by, you know, the fourth quarter and, and sooner than that in the Rutgers game. But um, I think this game on Saturday is more about the Huskies. Uh, can we get the running game going? And I think something we haven't talked about yet is how will Browning look? I don't know if he has yet really looked like himself, like he did that first half of the year last year, we saw him. And I know part of that was, you know, not really on him in the Rutgers game, uh, at least not completely on him in terms of how much pressure Rutgers defense put on him in, in the pocket and how poorly our offensive line handled that to start the game. Um, but I thought against the Montana game, I think a lot of people on the blog, like Gabby and Brad and Ryan have all brought up, it's like, Browning didn't have the best game in terms of terms of like manipulating the defense with his eyes and reading the defense um, in ways that he really should and ways ways we need him to for Chris Peterson's offense to work and, and ways we've seen him do in the past. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like a surgeon out there, but we haven't we haven't quite seen it. He's looking more like a like a surgical resident 
I I worry depending on how the first half of this game goes, coming back to the running game, you know, a little bit like maybe the Oregon game last year, um, Peterson and Tedford are buddies. I can't imagine, you know, if, if we, not to get too cocky here, but if and when we develop too much of a lead, the second half we will probably be handing off the ball a lot, one would think. He's not going to yeah. want to run up the score on his friend too much, even though despite, you know, the same strategy last year ended up putting 70 on Oregon, so who knows what happens. But You know, I, you're right, and I think that, I mean, they're all human, but at the end of the day, I feel like, yeah, like they'll meet at the 50-yard line before the game during warm-ups, and the camera will show them, and I'm sure the announcers will talk about Tedford and how he worked for the Huskies last year and all that. But I think once once the ball gets kicked off and the headset goes on, I think it's like I really feel like, especially with a guy like Peterson, it just becomes like like he takes all the emotion out of it. Like it just becomes like oh, absolutely, he's a like professional. Once the game starts. It's like he doesn't even know that Tedford's the other coach. It's like they are just the other guys now. Yeah, no, t- totally fair point. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think if the game's in hand, uh, we will probably see a lot of running. So how do you guys feel about um, transitioning to predictions? Uh, how do we think this one's going to go? Maybe some scores and uh, how they'll do uh, in terms of, do you think the Huskies will cover? I'll, I don't, do you guys know what the line is? I know I saw it at like 33 and a half. I don't know if it's moved since then. Let's see. I think my official prediction that I submitted for the blog was 42 to 13. So that would mean they would not, they would cover. Fresno State would cover 33 points. Okay. It's my math. Back. And you said the, you said it was what, 42-13? That was your final score you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah you... it, it, there's some intriguing guys on Fresno State. I mean, that wide receiver, Keyshawn Johnson, um, awesome name. And hopefully not related to the Keyshawn Johnson that <laughs> came into Husky Stadium in the 90s and, and absolutely, like, tore us up. But uh, hopefully that doesn't happen again. But he's got 15 catches through two games, which is pretty good. And I know Fresno State fans in general feel pretty good about their wide receivers. Um, not sure how good the quarterback is. Not the most accurate guy. I think he's still under 60%. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, it's got a I mean, big win for the Huskies. Yeah, and, you know, just looking at the score of the Alabama game, uh, I think I fall right in line with you on that last prediction. Maybe something like 44-14. Uh, to 14. I I can't see the Bulldogs, you know, scoring more than a couple of times late in this game, and I would expect the Husky offense to to some degree have their way with their defense. But gotta wait and see, guys. Yeah, I I think I'll be pretty coming pretty similar to you both. I'm, it's hard for me with exact numbers, but I just have to kind of pull something. I'm kind of thinking like my uh, gut is telling me something like 38 to 10. So a little bit less scoring um, in this one than you guys have predicted. Just not totally convinced yet that the offense is totally gelling, and I'm not sure it's going to totally click for them this weekend. There was enough in the last game and even the game before in terms of struggling in the running game a little bit and also just some gel meshing issues between Browning and his wide receivers that don't seem to be resolved yet. And I'm hoping that... This is the game where the Huskies break out on offense and it all comes together and they, you know, easily put up 50 or 45 or something. But I'm I'm expecting a little bit of a struggle. I'm still expecting them to score quite a bit and uh, definitely hand, have the game in hand. But I'm just not sure I think the Huskies will eclipse the 40-point mark in this one. 
It's totally. That's a, that's a, oh, that's go a for good it. point, and I'm glad that you that you said that um, about hoping that this is the game where the Huskies kind of explode on offense, because that would mean that we're seeing some wide receivers emerge outside of Dante Pettis and some consistency out of a guy like Andre Bocelli. Because uh, it looks like right now, Ty Jones, Alex Cook, and um, uh, blanking on the third guy's name. The third Terrell guy's Bynum. Name, uh, Terrell Bynum, yeah. Uh, the three of them, uh, I do not believe they entered the game so in the first two games. So it, it seems like they're on the retro track right now. And I think, I mean, Peterson, knowing him, but he's going to do everything he can to, to redshirt those guys. So if we have, you know, if the offense comes together, I think that's going to cement that redshirt status for them. But if they struggle again, who knows, we might see them insert them in the, the Colorado game. Just to add on to what you said there, Jeff, real quick about the receivers, and this can kind of gel into what we want to see come out of the game, which you've already talked about a bit, what we want to see happen on Saturday. Um, but I'm looking at the stats right now, and the most jarring statistic to me in terms of just individual stats when I look at it is we don't, none of our wide receivers have, caught a touchdown pass yet this year. Pettis was really close in the first game against Rutgers where he was barely out of bounds, if you guys remember that. But no one has caught a touchdown pass. I mean, Pacelli was close. Yeah, uh, otherwise it's all running backs and tight ends. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, I, I, I'm, you know, I might hit the panic button a little bit if that's if that stays the case in our first three out-of-conference games and we came in with a question of, like, how are we going to replace John Ross? Are they going to take a step back in the wide, at the wide receivers? And we come out of three games against clearly lesser opponents than we'll play in the Pac-12, and our wide receivers haven't caught a touchdown. Yeah, that would be, I think, reasonable cause for at least a certain amount of alarm. And um, so I'm hoping to see Bocelli and Pettis one back healthy to make sure that they play this weekend. But two, you know, for them to catch pass, um, Chico McClatcher to get involved a little bit, maybe somebody like you know Aaron Fuller. He kind of had a tough, tough first game against. Rutgers, if he could rebound and maybe not maybe catch a touchdown, but have a solid game, that would go a long way to make us, to make myself and I think a lot of Aussie fans feel better and sleep better at night uh, when we're thinking about the wide receiver group. Yeah, agreed. And uh, well, Lucas, if you want to take the glass half full approach, we are developing other weapons in the pass game outside of the wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, nice for sure. There, I, mean, that, nice I know you're spin. being a little sarcastic, but like, there, that's true for sure. I mean, I would, I know that a gripe for Husky fans in the last couple of years has been like our inability to utilize the tight end position um, through the passing game effectively. And, you know, Disley catching two touchdowns against Montana uh, is a good sign for sure. Sample had a nice game against Rutgers, um, you know, and Miles Gaskin and LeBon Coleman showed off their ability to catch passes on, you know, wheel route type routes, which I think would be definitely uh, a weapon for the Huskies, no doubt. And there is no doubt in that. But, you know, at the same time, we need guys like Brandon Lenius and Andre Pacelli um, to step up. I'm not as worried about Dante Pettis not catching a touchdown. That's more of an anomaly to me than anything. I mean, the guys show that he can catch the ball last year, and maybe there's some concerns if he can create as much separation without John Ross. That might be a fine concern, but, I mean, the guy caught, what, 15 touchdown passes last year? Yeah, 15, and the only one against Alabama. Yeah, exactly. And the only one against Alabama, which was a legit, you know, route execution and touchdown. So I'm not worried about Pettis, but, you know, if we haven't answered any other questions besides that of the wide receiver group, that's, you know, that's a concern going into a tough game. What would be a tough game uh, in Boulder? But Rob, what do you think? What do you want to see out of the Huskies besides them uh, running the damn ball, as you said earlier? 
Yeah, it was a, a moment of frustration for me earlier there, but um, no, uh, you know, for for everything I've downplayed about Fresno State, um, this this is you know they will be a superior level of athlete than the Huskies faced against Montana. So. With that in mind, focusing on some of the positives that came out of the Montana game, I would honestly just like to see the Huskies double down on a lot of those things. Name, you know, namely, uh, Jake getting going in the passing game, uh, spreading the ball out a little bit more, and running the ball more effectively. Um, the defense looked great. I'm not really expecting to see much of anything more out of the defense um, as they pitched a shutout. You know, minus Jake's pick six, which is not on them. Just looking for the offense to step up in this one and deliver again. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you said, can't really expect more out of the defense than pitching a shutout. That's, you know, that's that's impressive against, regardless of the opponent you're going up against. But I would like to see a little bit more out of the defense in terms of the pass rush, for sure, um, both on the edges and uh, from the middle by Vita Van, Greg Gaines. I mean, it's never been Greg Gaines's, you know, Total strength is rushing the passers. Never really, he's been more of a run stopper, but Vita Vea definitely has shown sparks of, you know, the ability to eat quarterbacks alive. So it would be great if he could step up, and I think that would help the guys in the edges a little bit. And I know talking about the pass rush for the Huskies is a bit is a de- kind of beating a dead horse for Husky fans. That's what we've been wringing our hands about ever since Joe Mathis went down with an injury last year. But I still think I'd feel a lot better about it if someone like Benning. Otai or uh, Tennis Bartlett came away with a couple sacks. Um, and both of those guys have been pretty close to sacks um, this season so far. Um, if they were able to kind of get over that hump and get a couple sacks, I think we'd all sleep better at night. All right, uh, now shifting gears here a little bit. Uh, I know we want to preview the upcoming Pac-12 games of note uh, this coming weekend. But before we do that, I do think it is worth talking about the big marquee matchup from last weekend, which was USC-Stanford. And I know, Rob, you have a pretty cool... Um, story to go along with that as well. So if you want to get into that. Yeah. So the story is largely where I was viewing the game. Um, I was in New York last weekend. I, I live in West Seattle, but took advantage of the fact that because I was in New York City, I figured, hey, maybe there's an alumni viewing party here. And sure enough, the UW Alumni Network in, in New York City is very active. Uh, they hold some pretty cool events year-round, including a, a salmon bake, which is pretty awesome. And uh, just coincidentally, I, I showed up to this bar near Madison Square Garden thinking New York City's huge and, you know, UW's a big school. What are the odds I run into people I know? And I ended up running into several people I knew. So um, always fun. And, uh, you know, you'd think there might be a small turnout for Montana, but there was actually a pretty good showing. So Shout out to the alumni network in New York. That was that was a lot of fun, guys. But talking about the actual game itself, they had every single TV in the bar turned to UW Montana except for one, and uh, a decent amount of people were focusing in on the Stanford USC game. The first half, honestly, blow for blow, they appeared to be relatively evenly matched. USC looked like the better team, but it stayed relatively close in the first half. Huge important matchup in terms of Pac-12 standings. Um, USC ends up coming out on top by pulling away in the second half. A big takeaway for me that I noticed, USC just really ran the ball down Stanford's throat in that second half. You hear so much about Stanford's offensive line um, and how effective they are in the trenches, but I'm very genuinely curious if Stanford's defensive line is just maybe not very good this season. You know, especially taking into account the fact that they had the third overall pick in the draft this last offseason. 
um, that's a pretty big loss right there. Right. Yeah, that, I, I don't know. That was the thing I ended up focusing on the most. Uh, Sam Darnold looked good, but Stanford's, Stanford's defense, and specifically that defensive line, m- maybe it's just that USC is really good, which of course they are, but I, I almost want to lean a little bit on the fact that Stanford's defense might be a little bit overrated. I don't know. Thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, their secondary, I think, was supposed to be a strength. I mean, they picked them off. They picked off Sam Darnold twice, but that's not, you know, completely uncommon for Darnold. He's, I think, developing a little bit of that gunslinger uh, reputation. Uh, but, yeah, he threw some nice passes against them. And, yeah, that running back combination of Ronald Jones and Stephen Carr um, still pains me that we couldn't get Stephen Carr as a Husky last year because, um, boy, he's going to be a good one. But that's a pretty scary two-headed monster that – might, I mean, at this point, they look better than Gaskin and Coleman. We'll see at the end of the year. But, yeah, USC definitely looks pretty good. Um, I think uh, Lucas was talking about this. We were talking about this earlier. I still feel a little bit like they need to prove it on defense. Um, but, yeah, the offense certainly looks good. And O-line especially, I think there were a little bit of concerns coming into the season. But they've certainly put those to bed so far. Yeah, I was going to add, um, yeah, I still, I and just, you know, full disclosure, I didn't catch much of any of this game. I saw some highlights later, so I don't have a great feel for how it went. Um, so I'll take your word, Rob, that it went, you know, the way you described it, you watched it, so obviously it went that way. I just, I'm, yeah, the defense, I'm a little still, I think the, you know, it might be a little early to crown USC as like the Pac-12 favorite outright. I mean, on one hand, yes, they should easily be in any sort of power, power conference, like conference power rankings, Number one, they've played Stanford, um, and they've beaten them, and that's much more than we can say for anybody we've beaten. So no question that they should be ranked one right now. But I still wonder if the defense will be elite for them. I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't end up as a top 15 or top even uh, 20 defense um, in the country. But, yeah, if if I hope, Rob, as you said, like I'm hoping that Stanford's defensive line isn't very good because if it turns out that they're very good, uh, or at least pretty good, and USC was able to pound them on the ground as much as they did. Uh, it coming into the year, like Rob's or Jeff said, offensive line was the biggest concern for USC on the offensive side of the ball. And if that's the case, that they're able to pound what was ends up being a pretty good defensive front for Stanford, that's pretty scary because, like Jeff said, they have Stephen Carr and they have Ronald Jones. And they have Sam Darnold, who, yes, is definitely a gunslinger, and I think he'll throw a lot of picks this year. Um, but he's also very good, and they could be really scary on offense. Yeah, how do you guys feel about them against Texas? Yeah, this can segue well into the upcoming games to the Pac-12. I'm not, you know, I'm not really thinking this will be too much of a game, to be honest. Stan- Texas, you know, it's hard game to game to compare game to game, but Texas just got, you know, demolished by Maryland a couple weeks ago, pretty much on the defensive side of the ball. They couldn't tackle and they could not stop Maryland at all. And now you're, I just can't see them coming into the Rose bowl and figuring out all of a sudden how to tackle and having all these issues that have plagued Texas football for the last four or five years. I don't think uh, going on the road to a very, very good USC team is the place to, uh, where uh, Texas will find uh, itself, <laughs> find itself, and go yeah, go back to the way it was ten years ago. I think Tom Herman's a very good coach. Uh, I think is a great hire for Texas. I think 
they'll get it going down there, and I think that they will end up uh, back as a perennial power in the country. But I don't think it starts Saturday. I think USC uh, wins, and I think they're favored by 17 and a half, and I think that they'll win. I think they'll cover the spread, to be honest. I think USC will win by three touchdowns. Wow. So that's, uh, yeah, I mean, based on what I've seen, I, I didn't watch them. I think they played like San Jose State or someone in week two, but. Yeah, from what I saw in that Maryland game, um, Texas is a long way to go on defense, and USC will tear them apart if they play like that. But Tom Herman does have that, does have the uh, the magic as the underdog. I, I believe he has won every ranked team he's played. Um, and I know he had Ed Oliver at Houston, who's like a one-man wrecking, wrecking ball on defense, uh, defensive tackle, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's tough to see Texas coming out with a win uh, in this one, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just moving quickly through the rest of the Pac-12 docket for week three, there's not a ton of interest, to be honest. Um, I think the next most interesting game might be Stanford at San Diego State. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Stanford responds after yeah. um, kind of being, you know, beaten Uh Pretty handled, not handily, but you know, beaten, uh, solidly beaten by USC and um, San Diego State's not bad. No, they're not bad. They just went to Tempe and beat Arizona State, who might end up being very bad. But yeah, they still, might be total trash. But still, going on the road, Pac-12 team—that's impressive. Yeah, and I, I think that's going to be a little bit of a tough game for Stanford. I do expect them to win for sure. I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be an upset, and I do think it might end up being you know, by 17 or something. But I wouldn't be surprised that that one is one that is close um, for a while until Stanford kind of grinds them down into the late third and early fourth quarter, which is exactly what David Shaw wants to do. But uh, I still think I wouldn't be surprised if some Cardinal fan are, Cardinal fans are a little nervous um, at halftime during that one. Yeah, I'm actually... It's funny you said that. I thought I thought you were going to say your second most interesting game was Wyoming at Oregon or Oregon at Wyoming. I'm looking forward to um, that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Josh Allen. People are really high on the quarterback up there. He um, could be the first overall pick in next year's NFL draft. I think people are. Start, I mean, I think there's a little bit of like they just see this six five strong armed quarterback who can make all the throws and can run around a little bit and make some impressive throws, but. Um, I think a lot of people were like a lot of his like number one overall pick status was banking on like pretty big improvement um, to this year because uh, he's not the most accurate guy in, in Wyoming on offense hasn't exactly set the world on fire so far this year. So yeah, are they are they um, one and one. Yeah, that was yeah. what I was going to say was I, I definitely think it'll be interesting. Down, so. But yeah, exactly. Like you said, they lost 24 to three to Iowa. Um, you know, Allen failed to you know, get them in the end zone, and uh, we'll see. I mean, altitude might be a factor for the Ducks. I mean, it's an, it's going to be interesting, them going to a, a school like Wyoming. That's going to be like Wyoming Super Bowl, so it'll be interesting to see how yeah. Oregon handles that and Willie Taggart handles that. But Oregon is, you know, they are what they are, I think, at this point. I think that's what they showed last year or last game against Nebraska was, you know, I think they're going to have a very good offense. Um, they yeah, ran the ball Herbert. well last year, and they're going to run the ball well this year. And Herbert is good. He's, very good man. He's very good. And I just don't think Oregon's defense is there. I think they're going to get better on defense, but I think they're a mess on D. Uh, so Allen might have some success, but I'm not expecting that one to be all that close. I think the Ducks will. 
we'll pull that one out. Um, yeah, they should win. And in a rather convincing fashion. Yeah, agreed. Uh, there's a chance. I mean, they got shut out in the second half at home last week against Nebraska. So maybe mentally or, you know, like culture-wise, they're still just uh, maybe like a year away from being able to like put teams away and, you know, come out in the second half with a big lead and, and still play with that same fire and passion. Um, you know, could be a little bit of that. But, yeah, I think you got to think that uh, Oregon goes up and, and beats Wyoming. Yeah, real quick, um, before we wrap up here, I do want to mention, maybe we can rapid fire some of these games, uh, but I think the one to watch is UCLA at Memphis. Uh, that's the uh, ultimate body clock game. It's oh, yeah, 9 a.m. for us West Coasters. That's Yeah, 9 a.m., and uh, Jim Mora does not exactly have the reputation as a coach that can get his guys up and ready for these type of games. So... Yeah. Uh, now, Josh Rosen has been unreal since his first oh, half yeah. against Texas A&M. And, uh, but UCLA can't run the ball. And, yeah, they still uh, can't run it. He's still getting hit too much when he drops Yeah, that. so they're a very odd team. And I just don't feel super confident about the Bruins going into Memphis. Uh, it's a good program. And uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to pick Memphis to win that game. But <laughs> would you guys be surprised if, the Bruins lost, I would not be. How can you trust them? Yeah, I certainly yeah. wouldn't just give yeah. that game to UCLA. But other than that, I mean, there's Arizona State at Texas Tech, which is maybe like the ultimate hot seat game for coaches and uh, Todd Graham and, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on that kid. Uh, Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah Cliff, Cliff, yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, yeah. I think that, I wouldn't be surprised if, Arizona State got rolled, to be honest. I, I don't think they're very good. <laughs> and I don't know if, if, if that if that does go the way it, I think it might, where uh, Arizona State gets embarrassed and loses by, like, more than two touchdowns or three touchdowns. If it gets ugly, I mean, is, I don't know if Graham's going to be there at the end of the year at this point, especially with the boosters yeah, on Arizona State who think they can get Chip Kelly, which is a yeah. you know, discussion for a different podcast, but... You know, I think Graham might be in some real trouble, and I think the Sun Devils might be in for a really long season this year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who their uh, trying to think who their coordinators are. Or like, if there's someone on the staff that they would feel comfortable handing the team over to if they were to do a midseason firing. But yeah, well, Norvell, yeah. Jay Norvell left a couple of years ago to take over at Memphis. Um, I'm sure they would have felt comfortable there handing him the reins, but he's obviously left i'm not sure um but yeah i think it might be more of just like i think graham is a tough personality and two years ago he was talking about their expectations were to win the national title or three years ago but when you do stuff like that and it ends up going as sideways as it has in the last two years i think it's hard i think you wear people's patience out quite a bit we call he just, that he seems like a used car salesman to me that just like says <laughs> would say like the same thing to like every single recruit <laughs> like literally have the exact same like pre-programmed like speech that he gives to every single recruit, and no matter what they say, he just responds with the exact same stuff. Sorry, I just have these like caricature images of certain coaches in my head, and Todd Graham is just one of them. <laughs> That's called uh, winding up with egg on your face, and it's not a good look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Oregon State heads to uh, the Palouse Saturday to take on the Cougs, who just you know. One in incredibly dramatic fashion against Boise State after Boise State definitely cooged 
that one last weekend. The Cougs were lucky to escape with a win there. But yeah, we'll see. I don't expect much in this game. Oregon State looks bad this year again. They look like they're lost on offense um, and defense. So they look like they're still a year or two away from contending for bowl eligibility. And I mean, the biggest one for me here is Folk. I, you know, it's, I'm concerned about the guy. I really am. I don't like Mike Leach. And I think the reason why I don't like him is because of the way he's handled Luke Folk's concussion issues. I think it's been, you know, downright irresponsible. And I'm not excited to see him on the field. Uh, And that's not as a Husky fan. That's just as, you know, being concerned about a guy's health. I don't. You know, hopefully he's able to stay upright, but good Lord, I don't know how many times his parents or Cougar fans or anybody can watch him wobble off the field like he did against Boise State and has done so many times and just not feel like something's really wrong with that whole situation. But I'm expecting a comfortable win for the Cougs uh, against the Beavers uh, Saturday. This is this is totally off topic, but speaking of Falk, I mean, we're getting to the point where... You know, if if he has another game like he did last week, I think it's a totally legitimate concern to or question to ask: Should he have come back for his senior season? But so yeah, absolutely, goes. yeah, yeah, something to keep an eye on. I mean, I th- I gotta think that he'll kind of bounce back and get into the get into the flow of things. But but yeah, Cougs Cougs should take care of Oregon State there. Oregon State, I think a lot of us had high hopes that they take a big step forward this year, and they just. Have looked pretty bad. The quarterback Jake Luton, I don't think, is who they thought he was. Um, but yeah, elsewhere around the the Pac-12, we got. Let's see. I don't think anyone wants to talk about Arizona and UTEP. That's on tomorrow night. If you would like to subject yourself to that, <laughs> there is also yeah Utah San Jose State. San Jose State's pretty awful. Utah should be able to beat them, uh, and then Ole Miss Cal. Uh, I just think that's interesting that an SEC team is coming out to the West Coast because. That conference is just like notorious for not traveling out of the region and just like refusing to travel out of region. And just culturally, I mean, deep south Mississippi and Berkeley, I would love to see the tailgates. Uh, I'm actually, <laughs> hell, I live I live in San Francisco. I could get over there and perhaps see an interesting class of cultures. The Cal tailgating scene's a little odd. I went to the UW Cal game last year, and it's one of those situations where you have to know somebody in a fraternity or go to like the official visiting team tailgate. Um, otherwise, there's not a particularly large amount of action going on in their tailgate game. Just a, in, a interesting note about Berkeley tailgating. Yeah, and I don't know. Sense that they have the most hardcore football fan base yeah. <laughs> around there. And I don't know if we already touched on this, but just to wrap it up, uh, Colorado takes on Northern Colorado this week to round out their out of conference schedule. Should be another easy win for the Buffs. I they haven't given up a touchdown yet, and I. Wouldn't be surprised if they have that, carry that over next week against the Huskies in Boulder. But yeah, so I think that's it for the for week three in the Pac-12. We touched on a lot this week, guys. This was uh, this was awesome. It was cool having all three of us together. But I think that'll do it for this week. So hey, thank you to both of you, Lucas and Jeff, for coming on the podcast again. Absolutely. Good talking with you guys, and uh, go dogs. Yeah, it was great talking with you guys, and yeah, go dogs. Go dogs.